0: Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. If you're staying in here with us, invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6 or you can find it there in your bulletin, Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. You know, uh, so we, we're back in our series in Luke, and last week we saw that Jesus has just, he's just called his disciples, well, his, his, what would be called the 12 apostles. He's got many disciples that are gathering with him and hearing his teaching. And uh, they're following him, but before they get too far... Uh, just like our military does with its, its new recruits, uh, Jesus begins by putting them through some basic training on the front end. Um, he wants to uh, level with them. Literally, he brings them to a level place. And he wants to level with them so that we, and they and we, we're all aware that his way is different from the world's way. Uh, that if we're in Christ That we are not the same person we used to be. That we've got a new identity. And and this uh, isn't just some guru giving us a TED talk about life principles and how life works best. No, this is God and Savior uh, Jesus who has come to bring light into our darkness. Who who has come to point us all the way home. And and so this isn't a, a how to live a better life according to our world. And no, no, we know that you could follow Christ and you may have it, your life may get worse uh, according to the world. No, no, this is Jesus teaching us how to walk the true and better way, period. And, and to be honest, a, a lot of this is going to be really hard to hear. In fact, on, on our own, it, it's going to be downright impossible. <laughs> but, but thankfully, what we find in the gospel is what is impossible with us is possible with God. And his grace. And so, which is a promise we've got to hold on to because God's word here is one of the most painfully convicting teachings that the world has ever known. Uh, C.S. Lewis was once accused of not liking passages like like the one we're about to read, and he responded by saying, Who likes being knocked flat on his face by a sledgehammer? He said, I I can hardly imagine a more (laughs) deadly spiritual condition. Than that of a person who can read passages like this with tranquil pleasure. You no, know, Jesus' words—I mean—they they rattle us to the core, uh, they break us, uh, and they leave us with no other option, no other resources, but to run back to the cross. And so, with that, uh, let's go to God's word and uh, let the sledgehammering commence. Right. Uh, this is God's word, Luke six, uh, starting with verse twenty-seven. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that for you, to you? for even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount, but love your enemies and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. It's God's Word. You know, we all have enemies, uh, right? Uh, in, In this fallen world, uh, we're all at some point, many times, are going to experience hurt, experience harm uh, from the hand of someone else or something else, right? And, and now sometimes our, our enemies are more public. Uh, it's, you know, that, that business dealing that went south. Uh, it's the, the terrorist organization that, that brings war and destruction. Uh, it's the, uh, the groups that peddle in fear, but, but far more often, at least on the local, personal level, you know, these enemies are, well, they're more personal, right? It's that demeaning boss at work. Uh, it's the, the co-worker who seems to always be scheming. You, you just can't trust them. It's that person in town or in your life who is hell-bent on wrecking you. Um, it can even be in marriages, right? It's that bitter spouse. Or, or parents, it, it's... Uh, and this happens more than we would like to share. It's, it's, it's the parents of the kid who bullies your kid, right? And, um, and, and not only do you want to just Hulk smash them, but you probably want to beat the kid up too, right? Now, you don't tell people that you want to beat the kid up because um, you don't want to go to jail, right? But you want to. Um, you see them as your enemy. And your kids, you know, teens, you experience this, don't you? Um, it's, it's people in your class or people in your school uh, who seem to, to be set on making your life miserable. I mean, they are just your enemies. Um, you know, there's people who talk about you behind your back. There are people who spread rumors. That, you know, especially those, um, they, they just don't seem like they, they want the best for your life. This even happens on a sport team. You know, teammates can be enemies, especially when the two of you are competing for the same starting role. Um, enemies. And so the question isn't, are we going to have enemies? Don't be surprised when we have enemies. The question isn't, are we going to have enemies? No. In in this fallen world, that's a given. The question our passage is addressing is, as a follower of Jesus, how do you, how how do we interact with those people who are our enemies? Um, How do people who have been saved by grace treat our enemies? Because it's a different way than what you probably see everywhere else. And so Jesus kind of parses this out in two ways. One, he gives us the, the, the world's way, or kind of the natural way of dealing with enemies. And then second, he gives us the supernatural way, his way of dealing with enemies. So let's, let, let's parse that out this morning. First, the natural way. This is just the way you roll out of bed in the morning, and this is, this is how you want to interact with enemies. Uh, the 3rd century, uh, uh, century BC, so a long time ago, Pagan philosopher Lysias, he did a pretty good job summarizing how humanity naturally wants to interact with their enemies. He said, I consider it established, which means this is just like given fact for all of humanity. I consider it established that one should do harm to one's enemies and be of service to one's friends. So hate your enemy, love your friends. And of course course pagans would say that, right? Um, but, you know, the Old Testament people of God, in a way, also shared that attitude. You know, they took the word, God's word in Leviticus 19, which McLeod read for us this morning. <laughs> it's that last line that, that McLeod read. said that you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Now, they're, they're your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so the logic went, well, if God wants us to love our neighbors, he must also want us to hate our enemies. And they took that commandment and they narrowed down the definition of neighbor so so narrow that by the time of Jesus, you're, you're, you were only a neighbor if you were another Jew. So your neighbor was somebody who was just like you. And so the, you know the Qumran community around the Dead Sea, you know the, the community that gave us the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, uh, they so embodied this mantra that or this teaching, that their their motto of their community was literally, Love thy brother, hate the outsider. <laughs> I was like, can you imagine a, uh, a church, that being a church's motto? That's on the bulletin, right? Um, we would never do that, though. I guess you could argue that unofficially that's how some churches operate. You know, we love our brothers, hate the outsider. Um, we'll get to that in a little bit. So, so prior to Jesus' teaching here, historically, when an enemy struck you on the cheek... Uh, or insulted you. There were typically two ways of dealing with it, and we see this still played out today. The first was the pagan response, which is also seems to be the plot of every action movie ever, right? It's, um, you you, you paid back those insults or that violence to you tenfold. It's John Wick, right? I mean, they mess with your dog, you blow up their world. Um, It's, you slap me, I cut your head off it's, uh, you know, we saw this happen early in Genesis, right, with Lamech. Remember, uh, Lamech was bragging with his then wives, which is kind of the first problem. He said that a man, a man wounded him, a man hurt him. It's kind of like, hey, kind of hit me in the shoulder, gave me a little bruise. A man wounded him, but he retaliated by killing him. Um, He got him back, right? This is how retaliation was. Okay, well, if you reject God, and you reject the sanctity of life, well, that's, that's one way to approach it, right? Um, or you could historically do the second option, uh, which was the practice of ancient Israel as God established them as a nation with the uh, what was called lex talionis, or the law that limited retaliation to, to be more equal. And we're still going to think this sounds crazy today, but remember the context. Instead of... Um, you know, you punch me in the shoulder, I'm gonna like kill you, your wife, and all your kids. It was the, the yeah, Lex Telianus was life for a life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, wound for a wound, and so on. Y'all have heard that language, right? And to modern ears, that sounds pretty barbaric. But in the culture of the ancient Near East, that was considered extremely gracious. That was a way of restoring fairness. Uh, in a world gone crazy. so, so those were kind of really the, the, the two natural views of retaliation to enemy. Uh, but regardless, before Jesus came on the scene, if someone did something to you that hurts you, I mean payback was coming in some way. They, they were enemies were hated. And, and what Jesus picks up on is if you define neighbor as people who are just like you, then there, there's really nothing special about you liking people who are like you. There's nothing radical about that love. He says, you know, the religious people, especially the Pharisees, they boasted in how they loved their neighbors. But most people are willing to love people who are just like them. And that's pretty easy. It's like, it's like loving yourself. Um, you know, Hitler and Stalin loved people who were like them. I mean, even Colombian drug lords can pull that off. Jesus is saying that's not that big of a deal. And so then Jesus, he exposes the motives behind natural love. You know, he, he notes that, you know, most people are willing to do good to people as long as those people are going to do good back. You know, it's, it's, it, most people will let you borrow their stuff if they know that, you know, they're going to give it back and, or you'll get it back. Um, but Jesus, he, he kind of gives us the, like, like, look, don't walk around like you deserve a medal for that. Like that's not that, that's not even remotely Christian, that's not gospel love. That's just that, that's just natural reciprocity. You are no different from the rest of the world. That's the natural way. Okay? But but before we move to the supernatural way, like I guess I do want to lean in on this this neighbor thing just a bit more because it's easy and I've done this too it's easy to think like how silly it is to define neighbor as another Jew you know it's so narrow minded and yet at the same time if we don't don't we do the same thing I know I've done the same thing um, so often it's easy to label our neighbors as people who are just like us and and if we love them that's great but but we also need to know that there's nothing special about that love it is love but it's nothing special about that love that's just natural vanilla reciprocity and honestly like in in my humble opinion that's why so many churches are ingrown right even the churches that are big and healthy we're like oh man they're great really if we were to be honest on some of them the the big and the greatness things about them is that they're big and great with people that are all exactly exactly the same um there's not actually this gospel driven love that is. i mean you could do that a country i mean you could do that regardless right you don't need God saving you to create a community like that. No, so the gospel defines neighbor not as our literal neighbor, uh, not as the people who are in nearest proximity to us, not even as people who are like us, but the gospel defines neighbor as a, another human being, period. You remember Paul teases out this in, in Ephesians. He, he reminds us that you know, our real enemy isn't flesh or blood that our real, part, our real enemy is in the spiritual realm. We've got a spiritual enemy, so which is pretty radical stuff. But isn't that so Jesus, right? Isn't it so Jesus to come in and to pry out of our hands you know, our natural love and to replace it with a new way, a supernatural way, a God's way of love, which brings us to our, our second point, uh, supernatural love. Verse 27, Jesus just comes out and says, He says, look, the world says that, but I say to, to you who hear, love your enemies. Ouch. Um, well, I don't want to love my enemies. <laughs> love your enemies. You know, there, there, you know, we know this. There are many Greek words for love. Greek was a very loving uh, language. Um, lots of words for love. You know, there's the romantic love, eros right? But, but thankfully, Jesus isn't calling us to fall in love with our enemy. Uh, there's philia, love of friendship. You know, Jesus isn't even asking us to be friends with our enemies. You don't, you don't have to be friends. No, the love required here, you could argue, is, is worse than that. <laughs> the love here for such a feat as this is agape love. And you know, all those other loves are natural. Like, you don't need God to, to supernaturally save you to fall in love with someone or to have friends. That, those are common graces, Right? But agape, that's special. That's a special grace. It's the love in which God has lavished on those who are in Jesus. It's a love that is unmerited and undeserved. It's the love that just makes your mouth drop and say, "Ah, this is amazing. It's a love that is given simply because the lover actively and sacrificially chooses to give it to you. And thankfully, you know, God doesn't wait for us to give him that loving feeling before he loves us. No, no, God just loves. He, he acts. As we've said many times, God loves us because he loves us. That's it. And all to say is if you are not in Christ and thus are not experiencing the supernatural love of God to you, then what Jesus is teaching here, I mean, it, it isn't even in the realm of possibility for you. This, I mean, he's not even, this, is, this can't happen. Because you can't give what you don't have. Okay? But, but we'll get to this and we'll get to that in just a bit. For now, okay, what is Jesus asking those who are in him to do? What is Jesus asking those of us who have experienced the supernatural love of God to do? Well, he tapped into the fact that, you know, that REO Speedwagon song, right? I think it's REO Speedwagon. More than a, is it more Boston? More than a feeling? One of the two? Whatever. Um, More than a feeling, right? Uh, Love is a verb. Love is an action. And so he's tapping into that um, with what we have come to to know as the golden rule. Um, Which is interesting. When when Jesus lays out this golden rule, there's been versions of this that have popped up in cultures all around the world. So this isn't necessarily a, a new invention of kind of life principle. But, but what makes it different is most of the things that have popped up around the world is always stated in the negative. It's, it's do not do to others as you would not want them to do to you, right? So if you don't want somebody to punch you in the face, well, then don't punch someone else in the face. And it's like this way to kind of passively maintain a good relationship, status quo. Okay, but what made Jesus' version so radical so new was the active language, verse 31. Jesus said, "As you wish others to do to you, do so to them." right? So if you want others to encourage you, well then why don't you start by encouraging them? So it means you don't just sit back and not do harmful things to other people, but you actually like actively do good to them. Um, agape love doesn't wait. So what Jesus is saying is don't don't wait, don't even wait until you you feel like they've treated you well. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how they treat you. Like you initiate. And, and obviously, you know Jesus, you know, he can't lay out in this small teaching every situation that we would ever face in life. And so that's why this is such a beautiful rule. So how would you like to be treated as the new employee? You know, how would you like to be treated, or how would you like your neighbor? <laughs> To respect your property, um, by as they walk their dog across your yard, you know, like how would you like that? How would you like to be treated as the new church visitor, you know, and so on and so on. And, and so, yes, it's hard when when they don't return the love back to you. But Jesus says exactly, like that, that's that's what I did for you. It's agape love, unmerited love. But, but then Jesus gets even more specific. Verse 27, <clears throat> he said, this is the painful verse. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Uh, Alfred Plummer said, to return evil for good is devilish. To return good for good, well, that's just human. But to return good for evil That is divine. You know, you're starting to see here, at least we are, what makes a follower of Christ different from the rest of the world. It's how you interact, maybe not on the good days, but on the bad days, with your enemies. Jesus calls us to love with our actions, you know, to be kind and loving towards those who hate us, you know, to those who talk bad about us. Um, instead of you know going on Instagram, Facebook, and, and just blowing them up, like we actually speak words of grace to them. And, and then I think it's significant that Jesus said, pray for those who abuse you, rather than, hey, I want you to do good for them, I want you to be present with them. Many scholars take this to imply that there are some forms of abuse, especially physical abuse, that are, are too dangerous to endure. And, and so in those cases we have a God-given responsibility and well, to protect and preserve life, and even if that means our own. And so sometimes, especially in families in which abuse is present, this means praying for your abuser, praying for your family member at a safe distance, um, which brings us to a couple misconceptions that usually come out of this passage. Verse 29, "...to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also." You know, tragically, so tragically, um, this verse has been pried out of its biblical context and Christian wives or husbands um, suffering from abusive spouses, uh, Christian kids suffering from bullies at school, and, and others have taken this to mean that Jesus is telling them that they need to stay and you need to keep taking it. If they hit you, you just stay there and keep letting them hit you. Okay, that, that is not what Jesus is saying here. Um, not even remotely close to what Jesus is saying. As Phil Rikens says, Jesus never teaches that we should allow evil to have its way. But rather, we have a God-given responsibility to make sure that physical violence is dealt with by the proper authorities. You've got to remember that God has given us civil authorities for these situations. And so reporting crimes uh, are not only a civic responsibility, but they're also a tremendous act of compassion. In in these settings. So in in the ancient context of the Bible, a a, a slap in the cheek, a slap, wasn't an act of violence. It wasn't considered an act of violence, but rather it was seen as an insult. Uh, It was a put down. Uh, It was more akin to a public rejection. And so Jesus is saying, when that happens to you, when you get insulted, when you get put down publicly, don't fight back. He says, you can take it. Because your identity isn't in what they think of you anyway. Your identity is safe and sound as the beloved. And then what are the next verse? From one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Um, I know many of us know this, but think of the cloak and tunic kind of like, you'll know those like, winter ski jackets where it's got the outer shell that's kind of rough. And then there's the inner shell that's like fleece and like nice and smooth and soft. And you like you know zip them together and it's one mega jacket. Um, well, the cloak is kind of like the outer shell of the jacket. It's rough, and it's durable, and it's meant, you know, to weather the, uh, or to, yeah, take the weather. Um, and then the tunic was the, the smoother, closer to the skin, kind of like a shirt type inside part. And so what Jesus is saying is if someone is desperate enough to take your cloak, go ahead and give them the shirt too, like complete their need. Which means Jesus is calling us to have a giving spirit that that doesn't just give handouts. We're not interested in, we'll just put a band-aid on it and just, okay, just kick the can down the road. But it's a giving spirit that is concerned with meeting the actual needs of others, okay? And so when we give with this agape love, we give expecting nothing in return. Uh, it is not a tit for tat. It is not a, you know, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. This is completely sacrificial. It's a gift of agape love. And, you know, the irony is, As we do good, and maybe some of y'all have seen this happen in life, as you speak well and as you pray for your enemies, they don't always stay enemies. You know, sometimes they may even become friends, or they may become allies at the very least. You know, the best way to kill an enemy is to love them. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but Solomon Solomon put it this way Solomon, a man who had his fair share of haters. He said, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If your, if your enemy is thirsty, give him water to drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head, uh, and the Lord will re- reward you. Um, it's just saying like, it's this kind of fun way of saying, hey, you really want to hurt them? Hurt them by serving them. You know, show them the love of God. We kill them with gospel kindness. You know, uh, y'all remember this Chick-fil-A had an opportunity to do this several years ago. If y'all remember what was going on, um, uh, LGBTQ plus groups were protesting outside of a lot of the Chick-fil-A restaurants. And, and do you remember how Chick-fil-A responded uh, to this this protest? Um, you could even say responded to their enemies. Um, in, instead of retaliating and standing out there and saying, oh, don't call us stupid, you're stupid, in this kind of back and forth, they just started serving the protesters free food. They just, okay, you're here, we'll come out and just give you food. Um, they opened the doors. They let them use the bathroom. I mean, they just like they served them. And while LGBTQ groups were were telling people to boycott Chick Fil A, do not eat at Chick Fil A, and while many, tragically so, conservative Christian groups were, you could argue, retaliating in not a biblical way, were retaliating by saying, okay, well y'all aren't going to eat Chick Fil A, well that's all we're going to eat is Chick Fil A. We're going to eat it all only eat at Chick-fil-A. Well, you know, while many conservative Christians were doing that, Dan Cathy, Chick-fil-A's chief officer, simply obeyed Jesus' teaching here, and he reached out and sought to love his enemy. And as a result, one of Chick-fil-A's most vehement opponents, gay activist Shane Windmire, publicly came out as one of Dan Cathy's friends. It's like he took back everything he said about Chick-fil-A. That's how it works. Well, as we close, and some of you may be thinking, oh, that's just is such a sweet story. Oh, that it were true. You know, oh, that things like that actually worked in real life, in my life. Because that's just not how the real world works. And tomorrow morning, you're about to go back to work, uh, back to that possibly demeaning boss, back to that coworker who just drives you crazy. Um, and, and you're saying, I just don't know if I have it in me to love my enemy. I just don't know if I have it in me to love my neighbor. I don't know if I have it in me to love my spouse. Um, you know, there's, there's a way that, that Christians are called to interact with others, even on social media. And, 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 you know, you may be thinking, I just can't wait to get on social media today. I'm just going to throw shade on all of my enemies, my political enemies, my social enemies. I'm just going to throw shade at everybody. And look, I understand. There are days I want to do that. Um... And as we mentioned earlier, you're right. Like, we can't do this on our own. This is impossible by ourselves. This hard teaching right here, it pushes us to see our need of Jesus like few things. Because here's the plot twist. The Bible says if we're going to talk about enemies, well, let's talk about enemies. The Bible says naturally Because of our sin, we're not only, like, separated from God, like, eh, we just don't really, we're not on talking terms right now. No, he says that we are actively God's enemies because of our sin. Naturally, we hate the things that he loves, and we love the things that God hates. And yet, while we were enemies, God acted in agape love and sent Jesus And, you know, there's so many places we see the heart of Jesus. Remember, our adult study through Gentle and Lowly, there's so many places we see his heart. But during the Last Supper, there's this scene that's easy to miss. In in the Gospel of John, we we find that Jesus takes some bread and he dips it in this common dish, and then he hands it to Judas, right? It's this scene that we've read it hundreds of times, right? Um, Very well-known scene. But in the Palestinian culture, to, to, to break bread and to dip it in a common dish and then to offer it to another was a, a gesture of special friendship, a very explicit gesture of friendship. And Jesus was, in effect, saying, Judas, I know what you're about to do. Judas, I, I know what you're about. I know you will betray me, but here's my friendship. And Westminster, Jesus offers that same friendship to you. Um, It it should, it blows our mind because he knows our hearts and he knows, oh man, he knows all the crazy sinful things that we do, our crazy sinful thoughts. Like he knows us and yet he loves us still. And, And so this is an invitation to come and to know this supernatural love, this agape love for you. To see that Jesus was hated. Oh, He was hated and He was gossiped about and He was abused and He was whipped. You know, they took His cloak and they took His tunic too and they hung Him up on the cross to die a cursed death. And yet, even there, if you read in the Gospels, even there He served. Even there He prayed. Even there He blessed His enemies. And then He died to bring undeserving God-haters like me and like you, the supernatural love of God. I mean, so his enemies could become his friends. I say, y'all, that's the gospel message, and that's the only way we'll ever be able to follow the Jesus way in loving our enemies as he first loved us. Amen? Mm. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that as we find in our passage that you are kind and that you are merciful even to the ungrateful, uh, even to the evil. So, Lord, we thank you for your mercy, and we ask that in response to that, that you would transform our hearts by your Spirit and that you would cause us to be merciful. Um, Yes, of course, to our neighbors and to our friends, but Lord, also merciful and kind and gracious even to our enemies um, lord break our hearts and show us our native jesus may we love your mercy and we ask this in christ's name amen hi richard owens here i just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of westminster presbyterian church our prayer is that the lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is, or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.